So today we get to Daniel chapter 9, which is one of the most fun chapters in the Bible. We spent quite a bit of time on Daniel chapter 9 when we were going through Revelation because it's kind of the key passage that explains what's going on in Revelation. Revelation in large part is an expansion of what happens in Daniel 9, but we didn't get to go through Daniel 9 in the context of Daniel. So that makes it a lot more fun today to get to do that. So speaking of context of Daniel, let's just go through kind of where we've been. Last week we met Antiochus Epiphanes, the guy who had on the coin Theos Epiphanes. The image of God, the epiphany, the representation of God. When you see me, you're seeing the Greek gods, Antiochus Epiphanes. And we saw specifically that we've gone from an explanation of here's what's to come uh, in, in uh, pictures to specific descriptions. Like this, is, this picture is Persia, and then this picture is Greece, because the last week the the vision that Daniel got was during the time of Belshazzar, who's still the Babylonian king, the, the one that lost the kingdom and saw the handwriting on the wall, and then the uh, Persians came in that night. So we were getting more specific here, and we saw it's going to be Persia, and then it's going to be Greece. And within Greece, we saw there's going to be this one king, that he was an image of a goat that goes so fast, and his feet didn't even touch the ground. And that's clearly Alexander the Great, although he's not named by name. And then there's four kingdoms that come from that, and four generals we now know, looking back. Four generals took over his kingdom. They killed his children and took over the king kingdom, split it among themselves. And two of those, the two in the south, became very, very strong. The Ptolemies in Egypt and the Seleucids over in the Middle East, Syria and Iraq and so forth. So this Syrian king uh, took away dominance over Israel from the Ptolemies and his grandson, the one that took over his grandson, Antiochus IV, or Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, is the one who's spoken of, and he had this abomination of desolation that happened last week. The abomination of desolation, and it was prophesied that it was going to last for 2,300 days, and then he would be dispatched without human hands. So that was last week. And at the end, we saw... But no one understood it. And that was last week's uh, lesson. And then in the broader context of Daniel, we've got these people. We're going to see today that Daniel's going to call this a disaster. They're in the middle of a national disaster because their country's been trashed. Their sanctuary was trashed. Their city that represents them was trashed. And you know, the question, of course, they all have on their mind is, what is God doing here? And the book of Daniel is there to give them comfort that God's plan is unfurling and nothing's happening that God doesn't cause to happen, including who's king and these empires. Those, they're installed by God. So first they get comfort that, look, no matter how bad things look, I'm in control. Don't worry about that. And the second thing they get is uh, that, hey, human history is going to turn out because when we saw the statue, we saw the head of gold, which is Babylon, and then the uh, chest of silver, which was Persia, and then the torso of bronze, which was, is, was Greece, and then the legs of iron and clay, which is Rome, which we're still in today. And then at the end, there was this rock made without hands that came down and, and crashed the statue and then filled the whole earth. So there is going to be a kingdom of God that is restored to the earth. 
But of course, that doesn't answer the question, well, what about Israel and what about Jerusalem? So today, we get that specific question addressed. Okay, so chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So Daniel is reading the prophecies of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is alive at the same time that Daniel is alive. They're contemporaries. And Daniel considers Jeremiah a prophet and considers what Jeremiah to have written to be true as a prophecy of God. Now this is remarkable in and of itself because as Dave covered in the very first lesson, when Jeremiah wrote his prophecies and said, look, if Israel disobeys their treaty with Babylon and trusts in Egypt, then I'm going to have the Babylonians come in and trash this land. And the people in Israel said, no, 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 the temple, the temple, the temple. As long as we have the temple, we're safe. And Jeremiah said, well, look at Shiloh. Shiloh look, at the, look at your neighbors to the north, Israel, the northern kingdom. In 722, the Assyrians came in and trashed it and trashed Shiloh. I was their god too, remember? So if it happened to them, why do you think it's not going to happen to you? It is going to happen to you. Don't listen to these people. Listen to Jeremiah. And of course, he had told Jeremiah all along, I'm giving you a job to do that's going to be really frustrating because you're going to prophesy and they're not going to listen. But Daniel listened. And Daniel looked and he said, hey, there are 70 years prophesied. So let's just go to that, Jeremiah 25.1. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah... So we got Israel's the northern kingdom. It's already gone, 722. And this uh, first year of Nebuchadnezzar was 605. That's the year that Daniel probably went to Babylon. So we're looking at some time, but it's close to the year 605. So it's been something like 100 years since Israel's gone. So all this left Judah, the, the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So this is in 605 right around it which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem saying from the 13th year of Josiah the son of Ammon king of Judah even to this day this is the 23rd year in which the word of the Lord has come to me and I've spoken to you rising early and speaking but you've not listened how do you like that job so for 23 years you've been speaking and how's, it, how's, your, how's your ministry, Pastor? Well, I have zero congregants, but I've been really faithful to preach the Word. Uh, well, you're a failure then, most of us would say, right? But that's not the case because Jeremiah's been faithful to do what God has told him. For 23 years, 23 years of frustration, you've not listened. And the Lord has sent you all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them. But you've not listened or inclined your ear to hear. They said... Repent now, everyone, of his evil way and his evil doings, and dwell in the land that the Lord has given you and your fathers forever and ever. Remember, this is Deuteronomy 30. Choose this day, life or death, blessing or cursing. If you'll do what you know is right in your heart, speak it and do it, then you'll have life. and You can live here as long as you want to. And if you don't, I'm going to boot you out of this land. You're going to be exiled again. Just like humanity was exiled from the Garden of Eden, you're going to be exiled from this land. And you're going to experience death. Because death, exile is a form of death. Verse 7, Yet you've not listened to me, says the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. 
Sin is self-destruction. Always is. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And we've seen in Daniel that Nebuchadnezzar wrote a chapter of the Bible. You know, he, he wasn't just doing the will of God. He became the servant of God and testified to the glory of God and has a fantastic gospel message in the Bible. I will take my servant, the, the king of Babylon, which to these ears would sing, what do you mean a servant? And this guy's one of the worst in the world, which he was. And will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, and against these nations all around, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing, and perpetual desolations. Happy message. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones, and the light of the lamp. In other words, your daily activities are going to cease. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it will come to pass, when 70 years are completed, that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord. And I will make it a perpetual desolation. So that's the prophecy. And it happens in 605. And the Persians took over in 539. So that's like 66 years later. 67 years by the lunar calendar. So we're within three years of the 70 years in Daniel's reading this stuff. He's obviously a student of the Bible. Remember, he went to Babylonian University and was ten times better than all the Chaldeans. And he knew their stuff and still didn't buy it. Which meant he was so steeped in the scriptures and the truth that he could learn another perspective without adopting it. So not surprising that he would be able to discern things like this, right? So he looks down and he says, gosh, we're within three years of this prophecy. Now, just as an aside, from what I read, scholars are a little confused. It says when the 70 years are completed... And here we are, the 70 years haven't been completed from 605. It's before the 70 years, and the Babylonians have already been thrown out. But I looked at this. This is a little dangerous because I'm not a grammarian, far from it. I grew up in West Texas. We don't do grammar in West Texas. <laughs> but this, this phrase is an infinitive, which means it's like ing. It's an ing word. It's happening. The point is that the, the language allows for you to say during this time period as opposed to at the end of the time period. Okay, So I don't think Jeremiah would have been confused by this, saying, well, wait a minute, why did this happen sooner than I expected? What he's looking for is, okay, the Persians have taken over, the Babylonians have been dispatched, so when are you going to restore Jerusalem? That, that's what he's focused on his mind. So, 9 verse 3, Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession. Now, as we go through this prayer, I want you to notice, and I'll try to emphasize it some, how much we there is. It's not they, it's we. So Jeremiah is taking on the guilt on himself too, because I'm part of this nation too. I'm part of this, and this is a national problem, not an individual problem. And this is one of the great things about Daniel. He's such an amazing leader. He's not trying to find who to blame. He's trying to find a solution. And in life, if we spend time and energy finding someone to blame, then what we're going to do is create a culture where everybody's trying not to be blamed instead of trying to accomplish something. And Daniel is an accomplisher. Just one more reason why he's one of the great men of the Bible. 
Okay, verse 3. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments... We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by parting from your precepts and your judgments. So he, he not only believes that Jeremiah is true, he personalizes it. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and to our princes and to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face as it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off, and all the countries to which you've driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they've committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We've not obeyed the voice of our Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we've sinned against him. Life and death. Choose this day which one you want to have. You want to have death? Okay, well, we did it and we got it. Verse 12, and he has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we've not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and made yourself a name, as it is this day, we have sinned. We've done wickedly. So we've been just repeating Egypt again. Of course, that's going to play into his argument here in a minute. O Lord, according to your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. Now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. See, your name's being tarnished by what's happened here. Everybody gets that we're your nation. And the reproach falls not just on us, but on you by extension. So please restore us. Now it's interesting here. He didn't say, I saw the 70 years and so I said, okay God, make it happen now. And here's the way I want you to make it happen. That's our bent, isn't it? We see this coming and this is the way we would like to have it. Because our tendency is to treat God as a cosmic vending machine. That we can try to find an angle to get what we want. Not, Not Daniel. What Daniel does is he says, okay, you know, God pronounced 70 years of judgment. He could tack on another 70. God is God. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to God and say, look, this is our problem to begin with. And I'm coming to you on behalf of my people and interceding and saying, would you please turn away your wrath? Because we, it's our fault. But you're righteous. And 
your name is, is in this too. If you'll turn us, it will not only restore us, your people. It'll restore your name. He goes on with that. Verse 17. Now therefore our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate, for your sake. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God. For your city and your people are called by your name. What a prayer, huh? Now, while I was speaking and praying, verse 20, and confessing my sin... And the sin of my people. Now, bear in mind, we don't know of any sin, Daniel. <laughs> we don't know of any sin. But he's just saying, look, I, I'm a person. I bear this too. I'm not righteous. I don't deserve what I ask for is mercy. While I'm confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, while he was praying, the man Gabriel whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. Now Gabriel, as you know, is an angel. And we see him twice in the Bible. Once in Daniel, once in Luke. And he kind of says the same thing both times, which is kind of interesting. In Luke, he tells Mary, Look, you are beloved among women. You are going to get this amazing gift, incredible gift. I'm going to give you an out-of-wedlock pregnancy. So you'll be ridiculed and risk being killed. Hard to think of a favor better than that. Okay? It's a perspective issue that we have, right? But he's telling her, look, I'm going to explain to you something that's going to be kind of tough to grapple with because you're so well regarded. Well, Gabriel does the same kind of thing in Daniel. So about the time of the evening offering, verse 22, and he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. I'm going to explain this difficult thing to you. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out. And I've come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Same message Mary got. I'm giving you this answer because you're so well regarded. Now, what is it that Daniel wants? Tell me what, what Daniel wants. What's he praying for? What is it? Redemption of Israel and specifically Jerusalem. And what does redemption of Israel look like? And what does the redemption of, Is of Jerusalem look like? Go back home. Rebuild. rebuild. Yeah, go back home, rebuild. That's what Daniel's asking for, isn't it? So now he's going to get that kind of answer Mary got. He's going to get way bigger answer than he was asking for. And this is one of our problems as humans. We ask for things, we want things, and God, I mean, God likes us. That's something that's hard for us to get in our head. He likes us. Maybe we had parents that rejected us, or parents that gave us conditional belonging, or absentee parents or something. We grow up with this idea that we're not really liked. But God really likes us, and He wants us to have the best. But what we ask for, as C.S. Lewis said, is we, look, we ask for mud pies, while God's trying to give us a vacation by the sea. Our desires are just too little. That's the fundamental problem. And one of the reasons he doesn't give us what we actually ask for. And what God's about to do here is answer what Daniel would have asked had he known how to ask. You saw Daniel talked about righteousness and he talked about restoration. Well, 
he's going to find out way more than he was actually asking about. And at the beginning of your supplication, so the minute Daniel asks, God says, ah, my guy that I like so much, this is one of my favorites. Let's get him down. He just wants to know. Let's make sure he knows. But are we going to meet him on his terms? And just tell, No, no, no. We're going to go way beyond what he could even dream. And it may not be too comfortable for him, right? But we're, we're after his best, not just his comfort. So God treats us all this way. And, and this is one of the perspectives we need to embrace. So you're greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. And this word vision is uh, probably better translated thing. This is more of a revelation than a vision. I gave you some information now. I want you to understand it. So here it is. This is Gabriel's explanation. Seventy weeks are determined for your people in your holy city. So now he's addressing specifically what Daniel asked about, right? I want to know about my people, and I want to know about Jerusalem. Okay? Seventy weeks. Now this started with a seventy. What was it? Seventy years. Because Daniel had read in Jeremiah and said, Seventy years are determined for this desolation. So he's like, we're almost at the end. God, please restore. So he said, okay, here's what I'm going to tell you about. Seventy more. And at, the, at this time, I, I imagine Jared's going, oh, man, it's going to be extended. Seven, no, no, it's, it's way bigger than that. But this time, it's not seventy years. It's seventy-sevens. Literally, is what it says. Seventy-sevens. That's why they translated it weeks. Seventy-sevens are determined for your people and your holy city. And here's what's going to happen during that seventy-sevens. To finish the transgression. Well, that's nice, isn't it? What is the transgression? I think what the transgression is, is the transgression of Adam that we all participated in. The exile of humanity from the harmony with God that we were designed to have. That's going to be finished. It's going to be ended. For your people and your holy city to make an end of sins. Well, Daniel asked about righteousness. Well, I'm going to tell you the scenario under which sin goes away and it stops. So you agree this is better than what Daniel asked for. I mean, right off the bat, right? He just said, for your righteousness sake, Oh, you know what? I'm going to make you my righteousness. I'm going to tell you how within the 77s. To make reconciliation for iniquity. This word reconciliation is the idea of covering. I'm going to cover the iniquity as, as though it's not even visible anymore. So righteousness now is going to happen in real time in a tangible way. And I'm going to tell you how it's going to happen within these 77s. To bring in everlasting righteousness. So not only are we going to end the transgression, end sins, make a reconciliation for iniquity to cover over its effects, now we're going to have a world with everlasting righteousness. It's a happy so far, right? If I'm Daniel and I understood what he was saying, I'm probably thinking, this is going to be some kind of restoration of Jerusalem. Well, bigger than that. Bigger than that. To seal up vision and prophecy. So you're telling a prophet, I'm going to put you out of business here. We're not going to need vision anymore. Why do you not need vision anymore? We know now what it's going to be. It's because the culmination of human history is for heaven to come to earth. We don't really spend eternity in heaven. Heaven spends eternity on earth. And what we're going to have is God in our sight. We're not going to need vision and prophecy. And to anoint the most holy, so the Messiah is going to come and be anointed as king within the 77s. 
Now, if I'm Daniel at this point in time, I'm pretty excited to find out how this happens. So this is verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. Now, Daniel's happy at this point, isn't he? Because what does he want? He wants Jerusalem rebuilt. And what he's being told is there's going to be a command that this happen. And as best I can tell, Darius and Cyrus are the same person. He's got the Median name. And there was a prophecy about a Mede that's fulfilled. And he's also named Cyrus, which was named by Isaiah by name. Cyrus, my shepherd, will bring my people back. Cyrus, my anointed one, he's even called. The one I appointed. This is going to happen shortly after this, best I can tell. There's going to be a command to actually rebuild the temple. And then the command to rebuild Jerusalem happens in the time of Nehemiah. I misspoke there. From the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So 69 of the sevens happen between the restoration of Jerusalem and the coming of Messiah. So, so far, this is way better than Jeremiah had asked for. Yeah, it's going to be rebuilt. Not only is it going to be rebuilt, Messiah is going to come within this time period. However, now it gets tricky. Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood, and till the end of the war, desolations are determined. So now it gets tricky. Because we want Jerusalem restored, and it will be. It will be rebuilt. We want righteousness, and it will come. Even Messiah will come. But then there's this thing, Messiah will be cut off. And not only will Messiah be cut off, another prince is going to come and trash Jerusalem again. So if I'm Daniel, I'm like, uh, you know, too much information. <laughs> you know, I, I'm glad Jerusalem is going to be restored, but you mean it's going to be trashed again? Yeah, it's going to be trashed again. We're going to have like a double fulfillment. Not only that, we're going to have a second Antiochus. Because Antiochus did the abomination of desolation. Remember when he sacrificed pigs on the altar and erected a statue of Zeus in the temple and outlawed Judaism? We're going to have another guy like that that's going to do the same thing. It's like birth pangs. You saw it once, and then it's going to happen again and be way more severe. So now we know... Since we're sitting here 2,000 years later, 2,500 years later, we now know that chapter 8's already happened. We've had Alexander the Great come, divvied up among his generals, Antiochus Epiphanes, who did an abomination of desolation, sacrificed the stuff, and then we have another one coming that hasn't happened yet. And we also know that these 469 weeks have already happened because Messiah came and Messiah was cut off. Because they crucified him. And there's one more week yet to come. There's one more seven yet to come. So here we are in the middle of this gap between 69 and 70. So 483 years and 490 years. Okay, so then in verse 27 we start talking about what's yet in the future for us. So far everything's in our rear view mirror. Now we're going to start looking in the future in us. And as is the case typically with prophecy, you're just right in the middle of a poem, you just jump thousands of years. Okay, That's normal in prophecy. It's all stacked together. Then he, which is the leader of the people that is to come. Now I get to do my little grammatical thing that I messed up on before. So this is Young's Living Translation of verse 26. 
And after the 60 and 2 weeks, cut off is Messiah. So, and after the 60 and 2 weeks, cut off is Messiah. And the city and the holy place are not his. The leader who hath come doth destroy the people. And its end is with a flood. So I, I like that. The leader who hath come. And that makes it clear who this he is. It's the leader who hath come of the people who cut off Messiah. So we're now in the Roman era, the legs of iron and clay, which we are of. We're, we're Roman. And we're in this Roman era. And during this Roman era, there's going to be a cutting off of the Messiah. And then there's going to be a king who will confirm a covenant for one week. And presumably this covenant is with Israel. But in the middle of the week, this seven-year period, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. Now, we've already seen that happen once back in 8, verse 12. So let's just go back to 8, 12. So this is the, the horn, the boasting horn in 8, 12. In verse 11, he even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host. And by him, the daily sacrifices were taken away and the place of the sanctuary cast down. Because of transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices. So that was Antiochus, and it, that's in the future for Daniel. It's in the past for us. We've already seen this happen. But it's going to happen again. There's going to be a specific attack on eliminating Judaism. Now, it's not as though there's been a reprieve of people wanting to kill all the Jews since this time, right? That, that's like every maniacal ruler that comes to power. Somewhere on his list of things to do is kill all the Jews. Uh, we saw it most recently with Adolf Hitler. And guess what's happening in Europe today? Anti-Semitism is rising again. Some of the people left over from the Holocaust are saying, I I've seen this before. Why? Because this world is still ruled by a lame duck prince, the prince of the power of the air, whose most hated group is Israel. You know, the only people he hates more than everybody is Israel. So we have the bring of end of sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. So now this abomination of desolations, how can we be sure what that is? Well, we've got two really important pieces of information. One is chapter 8 and a historical fulfillment of that so we already know what that was and what it looked like it was a world ruler in, in real time but we know something about this from Jesus Matthew 24 15 so the disciples are asking Jesus kind of what's going to happen and what's going to happen in the future and Jesus says in Matthew 24:15, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to his clothes, get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time no nor shall ever be and unless those days were shortened no flesh would be saved but for the elect's sake those days will be shortened so that's in the future to Jesus so we know it's not the Antiochus one because that's in the past to Jesus it's in the future to Daniel it's in the past to Jesus it's same, same as with us 
So Jesus says this prophecy is the prophecy for Judah where Israel will have to flee. So it's pretty clear it's yet to come. Pretty clear that it's to Israel. So now we'll wrap up with this. As we studied in Revelation, we have this great tribulation period. And Revelation never actually says the tribulation is seven years. It never says that. It says that the great tribulation or this time of suffering is three and a half years. Uh, It actually uses two specific time periods, 42 months and 1260 days. And the 42 months are the time the the Gentiles trample Israel. And the 1,260 days are a time period where great death happens. A lot of martyrs are killed and people are suffering and so forth. So we put these things together and we did this in Revelation. We put these things together and it becomes fairly clear. At some point, there's going to be a covenant. It will be likely, I'll say, it'll be likely that you won't be sure which covenant it is. Because after the covenant, there's a period of world peace that ensues. And probably escalating persecution, but it's probably kind of quiet at that point in time, my guess. And then in the middle of that, the persecution goes overt and viral. And there's a total breach of whatever the covenant was with Israel. And they are persecuted to be stomped out. And now any believer on the face of the earth, myriads of believers are beheaded. Myriads of believers are killed. If you're not killed, you're persecuted. And the goal is to stamp out Israel. And that lasts for three and a half years or shorter. You heard it say that it might be shortened, right? So sometimes three and a half years or less. And then at the end of that three and a half years, just like with Antiochus, God himself takes that Antichrist and throws him straight in the lake of fire. And we saw that in Daniel. We saw that depicted before the throne where the fire came out straight from the throne. He's thrown straight into the lake of fire, which we talked about could be the presence of Jesus himself. And he was dispatched completely. And then the eternal kingdoms comes in. The millennial kingdom, which then folds straight into the new earth. Just like was predicted in Daniel chapter 2 with the rock that's not made with hands. It comes and smashes all of the earthly kingdoms and then fills the earth with a heavenly kingdom. And then as Revelation told us, in the middle of the new Jerusalem is the tree of life. So the garden that we were exiled from is restored for those who are able to go into the city, which is not everybody. There's, there's people outside of the city, the dogs. What's clear from this? Well, you know, we, we, end, we end with the message of Revelation that was also had as a message of Daniel. No matter how bad things look, nothing happens that God didn't authorize. And it's all directly in his plan to restore. To restore and to bless. And what he told us specifically in Revelation was, if we will be faithful witness and not fear death, he will bless us beyond anything we can imagine. Just like he answered Daniel's prayer here with information beyond what he would have even known to possibly ask. Dramatically beyond. Well, it's just like that with us. And if we will believe and have faith that God has in store for us beyond what we can even imagine, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has entered into the heart of man what God has in store for those who love Him. If we'll trust Him and be faithful witnesses and not fear rejection, not fear loss, not fear discomfort, not even fear physical death, if, that, if, if it ever comes to that in our lifetimes. 
Then he says, I will bless you beyond what you can even think about. If you could ask for it, you would, but you don't even know how. It's a tremendously inspiring message. God, thank you for this man, Daniel, who is an example of a victor, a conqueror, an overcomer, a Nikeo. Help us, Lord, have his spirit to not blame, but to intercede. And help us have his humility to do the job that you give us to do, wherever that is. And help us have the faith that as we see things crumble around us, to know nothing happens that you didn't authorize. And that this is for our best. And we have an amazing opportunity to know you by faith and to follow you irrespective of circumstances. And to trust you, Lord, you have our best interest at heart and you want to bless us beyond what we're even capable of, even though we can't see past the difficulties we're in today. Help us have the faith, even though we don't know, to believe. In Jesus' name, amen.